Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. Good afternoon. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. That's a lot of W's. <laughs> this is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. Our shows are recorded and posted to our podcast and on SoundCloud and iTunes. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. And um, we have myself, Nina Kunimoto, on the board, and mm -hmm. we have Lou Hawkins in the studio with us today, mm -hmm. um, and we'll introduce her more fully in a little while, and where we'll also be listening to an interview. Um, I interviewed um, Edward Dowd, um, who is a, <clears throat> a representative of the union at the Brattleboro Retreat. Um, and Nick? And I'm Nick Awad. I'm a local educator as well. And a happy July, everyone. Yeah, first day of July. So nurses are on strike across the nation um, because they're not paid well and they're overworked and there are um, other concerns working, um, considering their working conditions. So right here in Brattleboro, the Brattleboro Retreat nurses are gearing up for a picket, not a strike, but a picket on July 3rd for similar reasons. They had an informational picket last Tuesday at the Brattleboro Commons. And today we will speak with Edward Dowd, a nurse at the Brattleboro Retreat and the Vice President of the United Nurses and Allied Professional. And uh, Lou Hawkins, who um, was a nurse at the Brattleboro Retreat, and I also worked at the retreat with Lou and Ed. And she is a biologist, an educator, and a recently graduated li um, licensed nurse's assistant. And she's been working directly in direct service and direct care with kids for um, over 18 years. So before we get started, um, let's jump into um, our first song. Okay, and our first song is by Odetta. She was a civil rights activist. This is her song, Paths of Victory. Trails of troubles, rows of battles, paths of victory, we shall walk. The road is dusty, the road is a mighty rough, better road is a wing, the day is not far off. It's a harder road to ride There's a clearer road awaiting 
with the cinders on the other side. Oh, we got trails of a trouble, and we got rows of a battle. Pass of a victory, we shall walk. Evening train was a rolling, a humming of the wheels. I saw a better day as I looked across the field. Well, I saw trails of troubles. Rows of battles, paths of victory, we shall walk. The tree is dusty, the road is a mighty rough. The good road awaiting, oh, the day is not far off. Oh, we got trails, trails of trouble, and we got our roads, roads of battles. Paths of victory, we shall walk. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Nina, why don't you give us an overview of our show today? Yes. So um, in the studio, we have Lou Hawkins, um, who was a um, nurse's assistant at the Brattleboro Retreat. And um, we'll be talking today about nurses um, striking across the nation in the past few months, um, nurses' working conditions and their pay. And we're also going to connect it to a larger conversation um, and, and really tie what we're talking about here, right here in Brattleboro, with struggles of workers in general in the United States and with a recent report by Special Rapporteur, the UN Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights, Philip Alston, who said, the United States has the highest rate of income inequality among Western countries. The consequences of neglecting poverty and promoting inequality are clear. The United States has one of the highest poverty and inequality levels among the OECD countries. But in 2018, the United States had over 25% of the world's 2,208 billionaires. There is thus a dramatic contrast between the immense wealth of the few and the squalor and deprivation in which vast numbers of Americans exist. And... Um, so we'll be so. connecting that to the working conditions of nurses and healthcare providers. Yes. And Lou's in the, in the station with us. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having <laughs> me. So we're going to start out with um, Edward Dowd. He um, is currently um, a nurse at the Brattleboro Retreat, and he's also the vice president of the United Nurses and Allied Professional Union that represents the nurses at the retreat. So uh, the union is holding held a pre-strike or an informational strike in the commons on tuesday and i spoke with ed and um it is a recording of an interview i did with um ed dowd this morning so here's ed the first question is the retreat changed the scheduling of nurses which seemed to have that seemed to have prompted the pre-strike and and the possible strike on july 3rd and so this scheduling of nurses is supposed to take effect in July. So what impact does, do these scheduling changes have on nurses, and why do you think the management changed the scheduling? Well, the scheduling has a, a wide-ranging uh, impact on individual nurses. Um, people's time, particularly their personal time, is very important to them. Okay. For example, a couple 
um, a married couple on one of our units um, who have worked there for years, mm-hmm. um, suddenly they find that they're scheduled on different weekends oh. and only have a couple of days off per month. Um, also, certainly um, people have children to take care of. They have um, parents, family members that they're helping out with, mm-hmm. and they have delicately balanced uh, schedules, okay. um, sometimes in conjunction with uh, their families, um, with everything working together, kind of fit together carefully. To have a schedule suddenly changed mm-hmm. represents a real disruption in their mm-hmm. life. One of the real problems is we had um, anticipated this, this contract language um, that requires the hospital to have discussion and consultation with the union for this very reason, mm-hmm. and that wasn't done. These were announced unilaterally. My question is why, if they know that this causes problems you know, in people's lives, why do you think they changed the schedule? Well, there's, there's reasons that they've said they've changed them, and we've heard different ones. One was they had some concern in terms of skill mix. For instance, right. maybe the more experienced nurses were on um, together and they had some le- less experienced nurses on other parts of the week, uh, something along those lines, and they wanted to balance it. Uh-huh. But again, um, these are things that the union could discuss with them and work on. Right. However, what I'm hearing from my colleagues that the way the schedules are working out, that it really doesn't meet that end. They're not mm-hmm. finding that the more scheduled, nurse, the more senior nurses and inexperienced are winding up um, complementing each other, that in certain cases that's not happening at all. The nurses uh, union at the retreat refused arbitration because there are other concerns. You know, could you talk a little bit more about what those concerns are? Sure. Well, let me explain a little bit about um, the process that we, uh, when we have disagreements with management. We have a grievance procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a step one in the grievance procedure where the member, and again, what a grievance is, is a, a disagreement on how the contract is being exercised. In other words, when we file a grievance, what we're saying, union saying, the hospital has not lived up to the contract in that particular instance. Now, as far as we have step one, where people will meet with their direct manager, step two, where they move up the line towards uh, vice president of patient care, mm-hmm. um, human resource director, and the step three is with the now step four, what we do, the fourth step is arbitration. Okay. Now, the hospital offered us, in this case, to move right to arbitration, but it wasn't without strings attached. Said is we'll expedite expedite arbitration, however, you need to call off your information picketing, you need to call off your picketing and job actions. Oh, wow. So as a union, as far as we felt like that was too high a price to pay. Right. And also, things don't happen instantly. Right, right. You may not have your decision for months. So what that would mean is our members would have to go with these new schedules, disrupt their lives, Mm -hmm. and on top of that, and this is the one-two punch, on top Mm -hmm. of that, let's say the union, um, which we probably would, succeeds in this arbitration, then we'd be back to old schedules again, and again, turning things upside down. So it was honest um, and fair offer that would would have helped our members. As a United Nurses and Allied Professional Executive VP, can you tell us generally, like, tell us a little bit about sort of the working conditions at the retreat um, and, and how that might impact sort of patient care? Well, in terms of all hospitals in the United States are facing nursing shortages. That's a nationwide shortage. Yeah. And what it has 
the cost to nurses has been that um, there's many openings. Now, this is work that has to be done. We have to take care of our patients 24 right. hours a day, work that has to be done one way or the other. Right. Now, our hospital has relied heavily on travel nurses, nurses that are contracted for a certain amount of time, for instance, 16 weeks, mm -hmm. um, to cover openings. Um, those nurses that come in, um, the reimbursement is generally higher than what, uh, for the hospital anyway, the hospital pays for housing for them. Mm -hmm. And I think the hospital pays roughly double for travel nurse what they pay for uh, oh, someone who's working for them as a right. nurse. So it's very expensive for the hospital to do, but it winds up being uh, when you have openings, sometimes that's all they can do. So we'll have sometimes a dozen travel nurses. Now, again, that impacts on care in that people work as teams, and it's hard when the team keeps changing. We would like to have enough nurses, certainly. Um, what happens is, too, in terms of if there's an opening, as far as um, unlike some other jobs, this work that, again, has to be done no matter what. Right. So if there is someone calls in sick and there's not someone to cover, the nurse that is on duty or one of the nurses on duty has to stay and stay many times for the whole shift. So in other words, work all night long from right. 11 till 7.30 right. and they may find themselves working through the day. There's and that's called mandated, is that right? Mandation, yes. Right. For someone who had worked um, from 3 in the afternoon to 11.30 at night, they may right. find themselves staying through the night until 7.30 in the morning. Um, we, we can't get, we're not allowed to work more than 16 hours, but right. um, it's not unusual for people to be mandated. So then my next question is, there's a, um, a potential strike on July 3rd. Would, does that sort of necessitate scabs because you have to have nurses on these units? Well, there's not a strike. We have, we've had, last week we had information picketing, yep. and we are going to picket the hospital okay. on July 1st. Okay. Now, it's very different than a strike in that we'll picket. Um, they could hardly continue to work. Our okay. workers will be working as they always do people in their off time, people who are on their breaks, people before their evening shift, people after their day shift, people on night shift, will join together to okay. demonstrate um, outside the hospital um, as an exercise to let the administration know how important this is to us. Is there, like, is there a potential of an actual strike? I don't know if you're able to, to answer that or not. Oh, sure. Well, anyway, what, what many contracts um, particularly contracts with hospitals that, where the nurses unionize, contracts will be a no-strike clause during the life of the contract. In other words, we have language in our contract that tells us that we cannot strike contracts in force. We are up for contract negotiations. Um, on October 31st of this year, our okay. contract expires. Yeah. At that point, a strike would be a possibility. You know, if we haven't settled that these issues and other ones, um, that's something that's a possibility, but at this point, we are it, picketing. And so just out of curiosity, like, if you do strike, it, does it necessitate, like, traveling nurses, say, to come in and cover? It certainly does. And in fact, in case of this, the, um, here in, in Greenfield, Massachusetts, uh, Bay State Franklin, they had two one-day strikes within the last so okay. Now, they did settle the contract. Um, right. They have a five-year contract that's in force right now. Mm -hmm. They did settle it. However, they had two one-day strikes. And what it 
what we're required to do is to give the hospital notice. Again, we have to give the hospital 10 days notice mm-hmm. to let them know that he is psyched. And then the hospital's job is to make sure that they can um, take care of the patients. Now, the way they do this, sometimes they need to transfer patients to other facilities. But they do is they, at a very high cost, they will contract nurses from other agencies. Right. Uh, management will work as nurses. The, the nurses that are, the management nurses will work. Um, they scramble to cover. I now, see. Um, Basically, Franklin, again, they had a strike not long ago. Uh-huh. Um, they not only, uh, they had, they locked their nurses out for four days. And the, the cost of the strike to them for one day strike was a million dollars. In general, like, in, in you, why is there a nursing shortage, in, in your opinion? That's a good, that's, well, it's a, nursing is labor intensive. In terms of, for instance, it's one of the jobs where, um, you know, a hospital doesn't close. A hospital uh, right. has to stay open 24 hours a day. Right. Our population is aging. Uh, uh, we have more people that uh, need need care. Um, and in terms of it's not a, it's not a job that um, financially is. Uh, you don't get rich being a nurse. Yeah, but, I, I uh, mean, I think I see I see a nurse as sort of working class. Um, yeah, they make they make a living at it. Right. But it's not an easy job. And it's not a job that people can sometimes stay with for, for years and years. It's a tough job. Right. And, uh, people will people leave it. Hospitals, too, at one time, um, most hospitals in the United States had nursing schools as part of um, their hospital. That, over the years, has decreased significantly. So the country isn't putting out, it isn't um, um, nursing graduating. And it's quite expensive to go to school for nursing, is it not? Well, it's like, like other education, yes. Kind of looking in general about union membership. Like in the United States, like union membership and its strength, I don't know if it's at its all-time low, but it is quite low, especially with the recent um, Supreme Court decision. Um, so how is the nurses' union different? And is like how the, the nurses' sort of organization, um, how they work, how they're organized within the hospital – does that contribute in any way to sort of the strength of the the nurses' union? Oh, I think it does. And in terms of nurses organizing, if anything, in the last 10 years, that's on the rise. So uh-huh. general unionized unionization has gone down. Right. Unionization among hospitals, particularly nurses working hospitals, is on the rise. I think that's because the nurses are on top of things. And you think it's on the rise because because right now, within the past few months, there have been many nurses strikes across the country, from California to uh, Johns Hopkins. Um, do you think the, the the nurses' union is strengthening because of sort of the, the conditions that they have to work under? I think that's part of it too, and part of it is I think communication. Um, mm-hmm. Look what look what we've seen um, with teachers in the last uh, right. few months around the country. Mm-hmm. So I think people, I think it represents um, some people waking up. To have, as far as people, you know, if you want to, um, you know, we live in a democracy, democracy within the workplace as well, and being in a union is part of bringing democracy into a workplace. Before we wind down, could you tell our listeners, give our listeners some information um, about the picket on July 3rd, that's this coming Tuesday, right? Yes. Okay. Um, Yeah, if you want to let us know uh, a little information about it. 
so that we could support you. No, we haven't. We'll be picketing outside the retreat. Okay. Um, we're going to have two sessions. One will be from about 8 in the morning till 10, and then from 8 to 6 p.m. Okay. And we would appreciate, again, anyone who is in support. We certainly would love to have with us. Uh, we anticipate that we'll have representatives from other uh, organized labor there. Yep. Um, we will have supporters from the community. Um, the more that we have, because, uh, yep. again, this is, a, this is a community issue. Things going um, in the hospital. We serve the community. All right, you're back. We're, we're with, uh, we were with Ed Dowd, a nurse at the Brattleboro Retreat and Vice President of the United Nurses and Allied Professional. And that was an interview that Nina recorded this morning with him. Ed told us about the upcoming picket at the retreat on July 3rd. We're, uh, you're with Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. And we're going to go to a song, yeah, Nina? Yep. We're going to um, play Pete Seeger, Solidarity Forever. Solidarity Forever. shall run there can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun yet what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one but the union makes us strong solidarity forever solidarity forever solidarity forever for the union makes it is we who plowed the prairies, built the cities where they trade, dug the mines and built the workshops, endless miles of railroad laid. Now we stand outcast and starving mid the wonders we have made, but the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever, solidarity forever, solidarity forever. Taken untold millions that they never toil to earn But without our brain and muscle not a single wheel can turn We can break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn That the union makes us strong Solidarity forever Welcome back, you're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM Brattleboro Community Radio Station Today we're talking about nurses, and specifically nurses at the retreat. And in the studio, we have Lou Hawkins, and this is Nina Kunimoto, and we've, I've had the pleasure of working both with Ed and Lou um, at the Brattleboro Retreat. She's a biologist, an educator, and she just graduated as a licensed nurse assistant, and she's had 18 years of direct, um, direct care with kids. And I'll let Lou explain a little bit more about what she does and what she had done at the retreat. And also, if you could, before we launch into talking about 
your experiences at the retreat, talk a little bit about the unit that we worked on because it's quite specific and different from other units. Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. This is very <laughs> Ed, I miss you, Ed. Um, yes, had the... Um, Yes, great honor to work with Ed. He was one of my favorite charge nurses ever. They're all wonderful. Um, so some of my experience with kids, um, primarily elementary age kids in a lot of educational and direct care support settings. So working in community centers, in kids' homes, and most recently at the Brattleboro Retreat, which provides... Um, substance abuse recovery and mental health support for people of all ages all over New England. We have people coming from, from out of state. Um, specifically, the unit that I worked on is the inpatient child psychiatric unit. We provide services for kids age 5 to 12, typically. We have um, some kids a little bit older, some kids a little younger. And so it's intense, as you might imagine. We have 12 spots open at any given time, and when I was there, it's pretty pretty full house. As soon as a bed opens up, there's another kid in very serious need. Right. And these are kids who are, I mean, I remember there was pre-K, pretty much yes. pre-K to um, eighth grade. I think that's the oldest that I worked with. And I worked there as a teacher and Lou supported me quite a lot. It's, it's lockdown unit. Is that correct? Um, so when you're in a psychiatric facility, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very different than other hospitals. Mm -hmm. Um, right. and that's, you know, we, we can certainly talk about that. Um, yeah, the kid, yeah, people can't leave. Right. Um, mm -hmm. unless, yeah, they have unless a key. they have a key, uh, <laughs> right? Um, it's a badge, <laughs> and and the place. So it's it's a unit. It has twelve beds, um, and there are nurses and nurses assistants. So yeah, tech. Yeah. So my role was mental health worker. Okay. So that is the that is the direct care position. We are with the kids. We are we work under the RNs license. Got it. So I primarily worked day shift. So on a day shift, you know, that's it's seven to three. It's seven to three thirty. Um, and we would have three RNs, so three registered nurses on staff. One would be the charge, one would be meds, um, providing medications, and the other nurse would be on unit as, as support. Um, and I'll tell you, sometimes that's not enough. Yeah. Um, and then you have your direct care support staff, so the mental health workers, and we essentially work under the RNs license. Okay. It's an entry-level position mm. um, in the orientation group. You know, I, I have several years experience but I, I've worked with people who had not worked with children before mm -hmm. I've worked with people who have maybe summer camp sort of situation mm -hmm. there are things that that we can be taught for sure mm -hmm. but there are some things that that can't be taught or trained working with kids in any sort of capacity is difficult because they're children um, it's extremely rewarding and it's wonderful because kids are awesome Mm. they're alive and they're curious and they're creative and they don't have self-regulation skills and they're learning about emotions and emotional literacy. Even the most well-adjusted, well-supported kids still are learning all of those things. Right. So when you have 12 kids who are going through the worst thing, I mean, let's talk about what our, who our patients are. I mean, these kids have gone through the most unspeakable traumatic experiences and they're five years old mm. they don't have families some do have families yeah. um, I mean to you know have a 10 year old kid who wants to die because they are in so much pain 
you need a very specific kind of person on staff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, as Ed was saying, not a lot of people go into um, allied health because it's lucrative. Um, but it's, mm. it's rich and rewarding in so many ways, right? We are saving lives. Even though we're not the emergency department, we are saving lives. Mm. Everything that we do is vital at any given moment. And as direct care staff, we're the eyes, we're the ears, we're the teacher, we're the boo-boo mender, we're the law enforcer, we are the game player, we are the teacher assistant. I mean, we are everything. Yeah. Can I ask you, Lou, you said there's three RNs. One is the charge, one's meds, and one's on unit. And so then under them, all the other direct care workers are working. How many direct care workers would be working on the unit? That's a great question. Not enough. <laughs> Here's why. Mm. Sometimes you have a child who, for whatever reasons, needs a constant visual observation. Generally, mm. it's because that child is at risk for harming themselves, um, ending their life, um, sometimes we have kids who are on the spectrum of autism and outside in the real world, so to speak, they have a one-to-one -one staff. Mm. That is their need. That should translate when they come on unit. They should have a one-to-one -one staff because if you're coming to the retreat, you're in crisis. You're having the worst day of your life, sometimes for three months. We are not always providing that, which is unsafe for staff which is unsafe and unethical for the patient, the child. We have to remember, I mean, not that it's really different whether you're an adult or a kid, but kids can't advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. We need to be doing certain things, and there have been times that I have asked and spoken up of, I don't feel safe with our staff to patient ratio. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want a kid to get hurt. I'm not okay with this. Right. I no longer work there ethical dilemma um, <laughs> dilemmas uh, and to be told that we don't we're not going to do that staffing because because it costs money you got to be kidding me right like you're actually telling me that that's the response and mm. we're accepting it it's completely unacceptable mm. it is not okay it's not okay for the workers it's not okay for the children mm. we need to provide the safest environment possible we don't cut corners. We don't make excuses. It's not okay. All right. Mm. And this goes, the, the patient to, to nurse or staff ratio goes definitely back to the working conditions yes. of probably the nurses right here at the retreat, but also across the nation. Are there, what were some of the other, like, I mean, I only saw, I mean, I, I saw things, you know, only for two hours, but I imagine you were there the entire day. So what, what are some of the other conditions that you had to work under that weren't uh, weren't safe or weren't just wasn't right yeah I mean you know I, I want to make sure that I provide a clear total picture um, it's not it's not always terrible but yeah. mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things that again are just unacceptable mm -hmm. um, there's no typical day mm -hmm. when you're working with people I think um, especially when you're working with kids mm -hmm. um, especially when you're working with kids who have a lot of stuff going on mm -hmm. um, but we do provide you know we have two hours of school um, and that's awesome we love school mm -hmm. um, but school can be a very triggering and traumatic event in itself for kids you know, a lot of people on the retreat will tell you that the census, so the n number of kids inpatient during the summer, is, is much lower than the rest of the year because uh, it seems a little counterintuitive, but because there's less stress. School can be, I mean, 
that's a whole other radio show to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we provide, we have a social workers group, um, which obviously is led by a social worker, and that can be very helpful. You know, we have snacks, we have meals, and we're also providing all of that for the kids. We're taking their meal orders, we're getting them snacks, mm-hmm. we're helping them with all their activities of right. daily living. Right. We're supporting them as, as things come up. Right. Um, we're watching cartoons, we're playing with Legos, we're doing a lot of things that look like normal, normal, whatever that means, but you know, typical right. age appropriate um, activities, right. but in the context of severe, critical, high acuity, high yeah. acuity, right mental illness which you know co-occurs with all sorts of you know physical ailments also because it's one and the same so so what i'm taking away is that i mean i also saw that if there is a shortage it definitely affects it affects every um, single person on that unit right Mm. right whether they're staff or patient even whether they're staff or patient housekeeping staff uh, visitors um you know there's few problems in this world that money solves and and (laughs) Keeping people safe and providing the actual care that they need is is just one of those things that money can help mm-hmm. a tr- tremendous amount. Mm. Um, yeah, when there's a crisis situation, I mean, the first thing we have to do is we have to assess the situation and how do we respond appropriately. Um, sometimes we have to physically intervene in order to keep a child safe. Mm-hmm. No one likes to do it. It is absolutely necessary sometimes. Mm-hmm. We are trained how to do this. Doesn't mean it's always done appropriately. Um, you got to remember, our kids have been through some of the worst things. Mm-hmm. They kids lack emotional regulation anyway. Um, and when you're, you know, I, I, I think the word triggered gets used a lot. Maybe not in the most appropriate ways as we as collectively learn more about trauma and our trauma stress responses. But when a kid gets triggered, um, you can't. You can sit there and try and reason through things with them. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you have to keep them safe. And you don't want to re-traumatize, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the exact opposite of why they're there and what we're doing. Right. Okay, well, let's take a song break. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you just joining us, we have Lou Hawkins, biologist, educator, licensed nurse assistant. Um who was uh who used to work at the Brattleboro retreat and we also spoke with Ed Dowd who is the nurse currently at the retreat and um a, a vice president of United Nurse and um, Allied Professionals and so um, when we come back from our break we'll um continue our conversation with Lou and we'll also um kind of take a step back and really look at you know how does this connect with other workers in our country and in the world and how does it connect to a larger conversation of poverty in our country um, which a report just recently came out by Philip Alston that um, showed the the stark inequality and worsening inequality in our country so um, we will (coughs) listen to a, a group called Dead Horses who sings the song American Poor the miles are full, American proud, American poor. Send you a free book every year. Discount for your diagnosis, dear. 
pills to take away your fears. America poor, America here. Left my innocence in the sea. With all the things that I make believe. Shadow thing, and it's just me. programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Elliott Street, Fish, Chips and more. There is some really good food if you're in the mood down at Elliott Street, Fish, Chips and more. Down at Elliott Street, Fish, Chips and more. Way down at Elliott Street, Fish, Chips and more. Come on down at Elliott Street, Fish, Chips and more. Open seven days, 1130 to 8, in beautiful downtown Brattleboro. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! All right, <laughs> welcome back. You are listening to Indigo Radio. We <clears throat> are um, on air every Sunday at WBEW LP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station from noon to 1. We are also on SoundCloud, iTunes, mm -hmm. Facebook, um, Instagram, <laughs> all the all the <laughs> social media. No, we don't. Um, <laughs> we don't tweeting. tweet. Um, so um, once again, if you're just joining us, we in the studio we have Lou Hawkins, um, who was uh, a, an assistant um, nurse's assistant at the Brattleboro Retreat. Um, and today we're talking about nurses, nurses on strike, nurses picketing, um, and just a reminder that um, 
if you are here on July 3rd, that the um, nurses at the retreat will be picketing in the commons. Mm -hmm. um, sort of earlier in the day and later in the day and it's not a strike so they will be out when they're off their shift and to please go out and support them um and so in our it's sort of the, our last segment we wanted to kind of um bring the conversation to into a larger picture um and and it's not really to dismiss the the particular event here in Brattleboro or um, at the Johns Hopkins University um, or, or or any other hospitals striking but um, and, and this is a sentence that I read in an article that I thought was really important is it said that by we need to address the immediate material needs of people in poverty right um, while working to shift historical patterns that causes the deep disparities. Mm. Um, so th that's the reason why we want to bring it, bring it up to talking about what are the historical patterns that cause nurses to be paid such low wages for, for administration to, or management um, of the retreat or any other hospital to pay less and, and to cut nurses and mm. et cetera, et cetera. So with that, um, Nick, do you want to? Well, what's interesting um, is that I've been reading some this week in just preparing for the show. I was reading some reports that came out after 2008, after the housing crisis. And so a lot of people before 2008, and I'm sure continuing after 2008, had put up additional mortgages on their homes in order to pay for medical care mm -hmm. and medical bills. And so, and the cost of medical care and health care is rising. And so it's interesting to me, uh, we were talking during the break, Lou was saying that nurses need a living wage. And so what's interesting to me is how is it possible that the cost of medical care is rising while medical staff um, and particularly medical workers uh, are not being paid a living wage? I don't have an answer. Does anyone have an answer? <laughs> Please call in. I mean, it's, I, I don't know what's so difficult about it. I, I really don't. Um, we're saving people's lives. We're taking care of them. We're preventing um, further illness. And for whatever reasons, we don't value it. I mean, I, you know, I say this tongue in cheek. I mean, this is woman's work, okay? We're teachers, we're nurses, and I just, Go along with what I'm saying. I'm, I'm generalizing. I do not mean to genderfy anything. But I've asked members of union, you know, if, if primarily we were all male, identified as male, if it, was, if it was a bunch of men doing this work, what would we get paid? Would you value this differently? Would you listen to us? I don't know. I mean, I can try and appeal like in a number of different emotional, mental ways, but ultimately it comes to money and you get what you pay for. If you mm -hmm. want to pay us $12 an hour, I know very few people who are going to give you $20 worth of work. Right. And when we're at risk for developing a trauma stress response and when we're, it is, it's beyond unfair. It's, it's, it's just unethical. It doesn't mm -hmm. make any business sense either. You're. You have such high turnover, people don't want to stay, it's disruptive to the system, and you're just putting bodies into these roles that are very important, right. not just for these kids and families, but society, because these kids grow up. Right, right. Mm -hmm. 
And, and we, we, Nick and I, during our research for, for this show, we read um, this article about, um, it was actually written in 1973, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that, that's 1973, so the, the author of this article was actually John and Barbara Ehrenreich. Um, the, mm-hmm. the person who wrote um, was at Nickel and Dimed in the U.S. Mm-hmm. more recently, um, and she was saying, you know, in 1973, that's really when we started in the United States seeing um, more of the uh, corporatization mm. of hospitals. Yes. And, and, you know, so that means, I mean, prior to that, it wasn't any better either because hospital workers didn't have stable, it wasn't like a stable job. Like, it was very unstable, actually, and a lot of volunteers. But once it became corporatized, um, you had more of the professional, but also a lot of, um, you know, division higher. It's very hierarchical, mm. um, depending on, you know, what your specialty is or whatnot. Um, but I think, it, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to go out there and say it does make business sense right. because you know what, if I don't pay the workers or, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any, I don't think capitalism necessarily has a, a moral sense right um and it doesn't matter as long as it's it's extracting or pulling up profits right um so yeah. i think in that system it, it does make business right. sense um even though it doesn't make sense to us who have to live under those conditions right us who can't afford our medical care or us right. who don't get a paid enough right for and providing it of <laughs> right. a person I right mean, that's right yeah yeah i think insurance number Right. What can I get reimbursed? Mm-hmm. I need to diagnose you because mm. I need that for insurance. Right. Yeah. It was interesting, too, looking at the Olson report this morning, um, the U.N. report, which Nina had read a quote from earlier that was published in December 2017. He wrote that the United States is one of the richest, the world's richest, most powerful and technologically innovative countries, but neither its wealth nor its power nor its technology is being harnessed to address the situation in which 40 million people continue to live in poverty, which to me is really interesting in the medical sense, because if we have the medical technology to be treating sick people, why are there so many people, he reported in the same report, adults with no dental care that have no teeth in their mouth oh i know i can't tell you how many patients i've been seeing with 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 lifestyle which is socioeconomic based right Mm -hmm. right health issues yeah and yeah and most are gonna kill them right they're going to die Mm. of diabetes yeah are you kidding me right in america yeah in 2018 right and yeah as he says like the the technological innovation and i was sitting Mm. in the hospital my um uh, mother-in-law was, has cancer, and she Sorry. was going in um, for for an operation to, to take it out um, or take out part of her stomach. But I was looking at all the technology, and I was mm. thinking, wow, you know, my first thought was, why doesn't everyone have access mm. to this? Why? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, to preventative health care? I mean, hi, food. Equal access to real food is like the number one preventative health care measure. Mm. And it's, I, I, I got nothing, I got nothing I, to say. I think also what's interesting too is that it's not just that these things aren't provided or that they cost so much. It's that there's this erosion of the social welfare system that, that has been built up and exists um, 
mostly because people struggled for it, right? right. This, these, uh, like living wage, uh, the rising of wages, those things don't happen without effort. And so it's great to see that people, um, workers from the retreat are going to be out in the street. And I think that that's a reminder for all of us that we can't sit at home waiting for these things to change, but we really have to be active. Yes. But I was just about, I was just going to look it up because I forgot the name. Uh, a Supreme Court decision was just made, right? Because an, it was actually, he was actually a healthcare worker mm. who said that, um, what is it? Uh, I don't want to have to pay union dues. And so therefore, you know, they are, uh, you know, undue burden upon me. And then the Supreme Court basically took it, twisted it into a free speech because supposedly unions um, have this skewed political agenda. And, you know, so if I'm paying into it, I shouldn't have to pay into it. And so Mm -hmm. this is, again... That's right-to-work stuff, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then basically you know, they just almost path towards completely eroding any way or, you know, for workers to meet their immediate material needs, right? right? To be able to organize Mm. and and get what they need in the moment. And that's also part of eroding Mm. the welfare system. Because the second that, you know, last year when all of those medical care, Medicaid cuts were uh, made to the child health care program, How many kids don't have health care in this country right now? And we have the gall to say that we're the world's richest country in right. monetary, in, in the material sense, yes. But, yeah, I think Not it goes everyone. back to what you were saying about the morality of all of this is how do we look at our country and evaluate what our priorities are? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you, Lou, for coming in, taking time to come in and, and talk to us about it. Because this is, you know, it's a local um, issue. Yeah, it's, yeah. And, it, and it, it is so much bigger than us. And even if you don't work at the retreat, and even if you don't have kids, and even if you don't totally understand, we need to support each other. Absolutely. And we need to be active because peop- no, one, no one's coming to save us, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be dismal. But it is our responsibility yeah. mm. to take care of ourselves and take care of each other and to mm. really unite. We are not nearly as divided as some people want us to think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get it together. Let's glow up. Let's do it. Right. We have to. So thank you again. Thank and thank you, you um, Edward much. Dowd, who we um, interviewed. You, <laughs> <laughs> um, he is currently a nurse and also a vice president of um, of the union there at the retreat. And um, next week's do you know next week's is? show will be actually myself nick and marisa we're going to be doing part two of the foster care system um, and taking care of our children looking at um, the historical uh, basis of the foster care system in vermont mm-hmm. and its connections to the eugenics movement um, and its impacts now on kids today yeah that's what next week that's what's up for next week great so tune in next week same time same place wvewlp brattleboro 107.7 fm your community radio station Um, we are indigo radio and the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests not the radio station and we are going to sign out with billy paul people power
I'm trying to get all of you people to believe All the things all of us could achieve With people power, oh yeah With people power, oh yeah It's a strength that no one man can fight But we need everybody to show their mind We need people power, oh yeah Demanding